the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There is good reason that the death of Jesus Christ is so violent. We'll examine it here today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. The ministry of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, takes us to Matthew 27 today, verses 27 through 50, a message called The Violent Death of Jesus Christ. Why did it have to be so violent? Why couldn't it have been a simple, humane, harmless death? We'll examine the reasons why here today. Please join us. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's program. As these people are pouring into Jerusalem, out of this number there are no doubt numbers of people who were very supportive of Jesus, hailing him as a great leader, and now they've turned against him and are hurling verbal abuse at him. They're slandering his very claims to be the Son of God. They are sneering through their lips at him arrogantly and brazenly. And we see in verse 39 that they are wagging their heads at him. And that is normally a nonverbal form of communication that's intended to utterly deride and degrade another person. And they are doing this defiantly, pompously, and proudly. They're filled with empty conceit as they're pouring out their hatred upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are supposedly the most religious people on the face of the earth at this time. In verse 40, they are saying, you have said you are going to destroy the temple and build it back up in three days. Save yourself. You know, three years earlier, Jesus has announced that he would destroy this temple and in three days, he would raise it up. And by that, he meant his own body in the resurrection. And this is what the false witnesses brought up against Christ when he stood trial before Caiaphas. And this shows the slander and the gossip that was circulating among all these people, that even these false witnesses who testified against Christ could hardly wait to spew out this abuse at him. And now all the people who heard all the slander These were like people on the freeway today who just have to slow down and witness the carnage of an accident. Except these onlookers found it necessary to slow down and hurl their anger and wag their heads at Jesus Christ. Then there's a second group of mockers, the Jewish leaders. Likewise, it says... In other words, they are caught up in the same spirit of haunting and abusing the Lord Jesus Christ. They were were like sharks swimming around a victim whose blood's in the water. 
and they are tightening up this circle so they can move in for the kill. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders. They were belittling him. They were deriding him. All that their carnal minds could muster, they hurled at the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, the religious leaders of Israel are full of deadly venom that they are seeking to inject into the Lord. In verse 42, it says, He saved others. Himself, He cannot save. They're mocking him, that he has offered himself to them to be their savior from sin and their savior from hell. And they are saying, you claim to be a savior. Let's see you save yourself. Why would we commit our lives to one who is such a victim and imprisoned by such a cruel cross? Here is the king of Israel. There is... A note of disdain as they say that. Let him come down from the cross and then we will believe him. There is the kiss of the serpent, Satan, in their voices. It was for this cross that he came into this world. It was for this hour that he was born so he could secure our eternal salvation. And now in verse 43, we see their hypocrisy as they begin to quote Scripture to Jesus Christ. They begin to quote chapter and verse. They begin to hurl the Word of God against the Lord Jesus Christ as He is nailed up on that cross. He trusts in God. Let Him deliver Him now. That's a quote right out of the Old Testament. Again, quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 21. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. These religious leaders, in essence, take the very word of God and they turn it so they think against the Lord Jesus Christ. They are trying to beat him over the head with the Bible itself. And then in verse 44, there is a third group mentioned to us who slander the Lord, the two thieves. The thieves who were crucified with him also insulted him. The travelers were insulted him. The chief priests were insulting him. The scribes were insulting him. The Pharisees were insulting him. And now these two criminals are also assaulting him with the same words they've heard. Everything the others said about him, these thieves were duped and swayed to parrot. It is a complete defamation of character. They are maligning him. And yet in the midst of this, Jesus is silent. He does not offer one word of defense, not one word of rebuke, not one word of correction. The words of First Peter are so true. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Beloved, this is the account of the one to whom you have entrusted your life and your soul. 
This is the one to whom you have committed your life and your eternal destiny. This is the one who is more precious to you than the closest loved one you have on this earth. This is the one who loved you while he was yet upon the cross and he suffered there as a common criminal so that you would not have to suffer the eternal punishment you so deserve. Notice verse 45. Now third, we see the separation he suffered. We move from the shame and the slander to now what is the darkest part of the cross. It is one thing to be rejected by men. It is another thing to be rejected by God. It is one thing to be forsaken by men. It is something else entirely to be forsaken by God. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour. That would be noon. To this point, Jesus has been on the cross for three hours. Everything that has occurred from verse 33 to this point has been the first three hours of the cross. And now beginning in verse 45 is the second three hours of the cross. Our Lord spent a total of six hours on that cross from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon. And we are now at high noon. In verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. Complete darkness covered the land. For this period of three hours, we cannot even imagine how black this darkness was. No reflection from the stars or the moon. No light emerging from a rising or setting sun. For three hours, it is pitch dark as darkness can be. It was as if God was drawing a veil over the cross. But there's a significance to this darkness. Darkness in Scripture represents judgment. It is a divine judgment upon sin. And it is at this point that the sins of many are being transferred now to the Lord Jesus Christ. And him who knew no sin, God made him to be sin for us. Jesus is now being made a curse for us. And if Jesus is bearing our sins in his body upon the cross, then the wrath of God is being inflicted upon him, our sin bearer. He is entering into judgment for us. Jesus is suffering the vengeance of God on our behalf here because he is becoming sin for us and dying in our place. Jesus is suffering indescribable misery now at this time as darkness covers the land. William Hendrickson, the outstanding commentator of the New Testament, writes, Hell came to Calvary. That day the Savior descended into hell and bore its horrors in our stead. He is not literally descending into hell at this point, he says, but the torment of the damned is being hoisted upon him. And what damned souls in hell this moment were experiencing as they were suffering under the wrath of God was all being poured out in concentrated fashion upon the Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. As he bore our sin, he suffered under God's wrath for all of us who believe. Hell upon hell upon hell. 
torment upon torment upon torment our Lord suffered. Verse 46, about the ninth hour, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. The Bible makes no mention of anything that occurred occurred during this three-hour period from 12 to 3. It's as if the Lord is so alone in darkness bearing our sins and suffering under the wrath of God. There are no words coming from the cross. There's no light to let us see. There's no gospel writer to record what took place in the agony and torment of our Lord from 12 to 3 as he suffered and bled and died in our place. And now at 3 in the afternoon, as the atonement is made for our sins, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. Now the fact that it is a loud voice is important because it shows strength. He's still got some vigor in him. He's not swooning into, un, in a, into an unconscious state. He yet has breath and strength to cry out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And by this cry, God the Son acknowledges that God the Father has abandoned him on the cross. You know, the mystery of the ages is how can God forsake God? How can God abandon God? And the answer is that God the Father abandoned the human nature of His Son. The meaning here cannot be that God the Father deserted the divine nature of God the Son, for they have been one throughout all eternity past, and they are one during His, his earthly ministry, and they are one during His eternity future. There can be no breach in the Godhead, no division within the Trinity. There can be no division between God the Father and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this desertion is now between the Father and the human nature of the Son. This means that when Jesus became sin for us, God the Father forsook the humanity of Jesus Christ as he was bearing our sins upon the cross. God can have no fellowship with sin, for God is infinitely holy and pure. And as Jesus bears our sins, the Father inflicts His wrath upon the Son, and the Father, as it were, turns His back on the humanity of the Son. R.C. Sproul writes, in the midst of the intensity of this darkness, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of the most striking utterances that came from the lips of our Lord. Jesus cried out to his Father because he had actually been forsaken. When Jesus took the curse on himself and so identified with our sins, sin, says Sproul, he became a curse. God cut him off. And justly so. At the moment when Christ took on himself the sins of the world, his figure on the cross was the most grotesque, the most obscene mass of concentrated sin in the history of the world, he says. And then Sproul continues, God is too holy to look on iniquity. So when Christ hung on the cross, the Father, as it were, turned his back 
he averted his face and cut off his son. Christ had been in a perfect, blessed relationship with his father throughout his ministry. But now he bore the sin of God's people. And so he was forsaken by his father. Now listen to this. Sproul again writes, Granted, the physical agony of crucifixion is a ghastly thing. But thousands of people died on crosses, and others had been even more painfully excruciating deaths than this. But only one received the full measure of the curse of God while on a cross. He says, because of that, I wonder if Jesus was even aware of the nails and the thorns. He was overwhelmed by the outer darkness. On the cross, Jesus was in hell, totally bereaved of grace in the presence of God, utterly separated from all the blessedness of the Father. He became a curse for us, so we one day will be able to see the face of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is the most extraordinary moment in all of redemptive history as God the Father turns his back on the cross, as Jesus Christ alone bears our sins and suffers the eternal punishment for those sins. End quote. Sproul also says, the hard reality is this. If Jesus was not forsaken on the cross, we are still in our sins. If Jesus was not forsaken on the cross, we have no redemption from sin. And if you do not believe in a Savior who was forsaken by the Father, then when you die, you will be forsaken by the Father. End quote. The God of our salvation suffered shame and abuse on the cross of Calvary for you that you deserved for your sins. Not to mention living among his creation for 33 years, surrounded by doubts and betrayal. Not to mention the terrible scourging that ripped his back raw and the crown of thorns that would force down into his skull. His death was terribly violent and his life was humiliating. But he never complained. He gave himself freely for our sake. So that the heavy burden of sin might be lifted from our backs. And so we might literally have an eternity of bliss. There's no greater love, my friends. How can we who have been touched by that love not commit ourselves totally to his service and his will alone. Let me jump now to verse 50, where we read that Jesus yielded up his spirit. Beloved, Jesus did this voluntarily, volitionally, intentionally, willingly, purposely. His life was not taken from him. He gave his life on the cross. Well, now the atonement's made. The sacrifice has been offered. His blood has washed away the sins of all those who would believe upon him. Beloved, this is the account of the death of Christ 
upon the cross for our sake. It is the high ground of all human history and is most definitely the high ground of all redemptive history. Everything in history before this led up to this one moment and everything from this moment in history will look back and rejoice and celebrate and triumph in this death. This is the only way of salvation. This is the way of entrance into the kingdom of heaven, and it requires our faith in Jesus Christ and all his redemptive work, not merely intellectual head knowledge, not merely assenting to the facts of the gospel. It is coming to that place in life when you realize my sin is a shame before a holy God that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that I must give an account to this God for my offenses for the wages of sin is death forever but God in his mercy God in his goodness has sent his son into this world ultimately to go to this cross where he was lifted up to die a most horrible death in our place. This is the message of the ages. This is the most important message that has ever been declared by human lips. It is a message that even the worst of sinners can be forgiven. That God has been satisfied that redemption has been provided, that reconciliation has been secured, that the way to heaven has been purchased through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we celebrate today. The resurrection is a documentation and the verification and the authentication that this death is in fact the one true perfect atonement for sinners. We are saved by his death and we are justified by his resurrection in the sense that it is the resurrection that affirms the validity of his death upon Calvary's cross. And it is, of course, only a living, risen Savior who can save. A dead Savior can't save anyone. But Christ has been raised from the dead and he stands ready to save all who will call upon him. If you have never called upon the name of the Lord, if you have never come to a place where you have totally surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, I plead with you now, my friend, to come to Christ. Believe upon him as your Savior and your Lord. Do not leave here today and trample underfoot the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Receive him into your life by faith. Tell him, Lord God, I no longer want to live a life that is empty, that is nothing. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and take over my life. Help me to bow my knees before you and submit my will to your will. I want forgiveness of sins. I want eternal life. I want to be reconciled to the Father. Save me. Oh, Lord, if you say that from your heart right now, beloved, the Spirit of God will take over your life and you will be changed. And if you are a believer, 
but you find yourself in a discontented and rebellious spirit, pray that God will renew you in a right spirit. Don't play around with him now, beloved. He's paid a great price to purchase your salvation. Come to him now humbly. Come to him sincerely. Come to him and say, Lord, have mercy upon me and correct me or I perish. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 